0: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Connect Church Online. It really is wonderful to be with you this Sunday morning. Uh, It's an honor and a privilege to be able to unpack God's word with you and to share with you what uh, the Lord has laid on my heart to share with you today. So just briefly, uh, what I'm going to be speaking today on today is something that the Lord has laid on my heart. Uh, it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about and I've been passionate about this for quite some time. Uh, in fact, I preached on it before about two years ago, but I really felt in preparation for this morning, the Lord give me a license and liberty to be able to share on it again and to be able to unpack it again. I really think it is significant for God's people to understand this, to get our hearts and our heads into this uh, it really is an exciting topic to be unpacking. So uh, we're going to be speaking about the gospel this morning. Uh, if you've been around church for some time you would have heard that word or that term gospel used in many different ways in many messages. Christians often use the word gospel or talk about the gospel. In fact the gospel is often what led you to Jesus here in the gospel message. We hear about the transforming power of the gospel. Brad spoke about that two weeks ago, what the gospel can do. Uh, Jacob spoke last week about the wisdom of God and we often hear uh, people say or people preach on the fact that God's wisdom is revealed in the gospel. The gospel reveals God's wisdom and those are wonderful messages and deep truths. And we love the gospel as God's people. But uh, the thing that God laid on my heart was this idea of how often we actually stop to think about what the gospel really is. In other words, how often as God's people do we stop to think about what the good news is? Because that's what the word gospel is. Means it, it means good news. But how often do we stop to think about what is really at the center of that good news? What is that good news really all about? Now, that may sound silly to ask Christians to stop and to think about that and to ask the question, what really is the gospel? Because surely, uh, despite all of our differences and our different opinions and different things and all the challenges that we face within the church, because we're so diverse in terms of opinion and background and upbringing, all that sort of stuff. You know, there's often stuff that we that we disagree on and we have to work through. Surely the gospel is the one thing that we all agree on uh, that we don't have to dig into and discuss at length. Uh, but what I find is it's actually something we do need to discuss because I don't know that our understanding of the gospel is the same. And so for most people, we would go to John 3.16 to uh, succinctly uh, tell somebody what the gospel is at its core. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And I would say to you, of course, John 3.16 is truth. Of course, John 3.16 is most certainly good news. However, when we consider the scriptures and when we consider the scriptures holistically and we look at what the early church preached, what the, what the apostles and the disciples preached, I don't know that the center of their gospel message was John 3.16, at least not entirely. John 3.16 speaks about a plan of salvation. It's how God saves people. And we often think that that is what the gospel is. That's what we've been taught. But I don't know when you look at the preaching and the teaching of the early church. That my salvation or our salvation or or, 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 or the fact that we can be saved is at the center of what it means to preach the gospel. You see, what's happened is the word gospel has been used in contemporary Christianity to describe the plan of salvation, like I've mentioned a little bit earlier. The plan of salvation is really how one gets saved. And so what's ended up happening is we've reduced the gospel uh, to justification by faith. You hear some people speaking about the irreducible minimum. It's, it's how do you best describe the gospel in as fewer words as possible and they say at the center of the gospel is this justification by faith. Now obviously the forgiveness of sins, one salvation, all of that good news is inherent in the gospel but I think when we look at scripture we'll find out that that is not in and of itself the gospel. In other words personal salvation Our personal salvation, the fact that we can be saved, is not at the center of what the early church considered to be the gospel. Certainly what scripture teaches us uh, is the gospel does not have salvation at its center. Dallas Willard uh, said this, For most Christians, the gospel is all about getting my sins forgiven so I can go to heaven when I die. In other words, it's become the gospel of sin management. So as a result, what's happened is the word gospel has been hijacked by what we believe about our personal salvation. And that's led to what the gospel really is becoming, sadly, little more than a backstory leading up to the cross. And it makes Jesus, and this is a sad thing, it makes the person of Jesus really just a mechanism by which or through which we get saved or we are able to attain salvation essentially what happens is the cross becomes only a part of the story right the cross becomes uh, the only part of the story that really matters not only a part it becomes the only part that we focus on when we speak about the gospel and we end up equating gospel with salvation now, before you start chucking stuff at your computer screen uh, or closing your laptop and going, I'm done with listening to this guy and screaming heretic and throwing all sorts of stuff at your TV, just hear me out. Because I think when we read scripture, we'll uh see that it becomes quite clear that the scriptural writers and 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 the early church, when when they when they preached the gospel, they had a different understanding of what it meant to preach the gospel because they had a different understanding of what was at the center of the gospel. And what they did not believe was at the center of the gospel primarily was justification by faith. They did not believe that primarily at the center of the gospel was justification by faith. They believed the center of the gospel was something else. So let's dig into scripture and get a bit of a holistic biblical perspective on what the gospel really is. So we're going to be reading from uh, the book of One Corinthians, chapter fifteen, and we're going to be bouncing around between verses, but it will come up on the screen. And just to give you a bit of background to this text, this is probably one of the oldest New Testament texts we have. And what Paul begins to do here is recite oral tradition. And so, because the Bible as it exists today it didn't exist then, often what was Uh, shared as scripture was shared orally Um, and and what Paul starts to do is recount what God's people know to be true about what the gospel is and so he reminds them of that and he makes some really emphatic statements about what the gospel is and his gospel message contains a lot more content than what our gospel message often does so here's what Paul says he says now brothers and sisters I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. By this good news, in other words, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, here's where Paul starts to unpack what the gospel is. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised, and on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all things or put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For everything has been put under him. It is clear that this does not include God himself, Put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be in all, may be all in all. So, firstly, what I want to draw your attention to is is the words according to Scripture that Paul uses. The words according to scripture are so important in understanding Paul's understanding of the gospel because it means that Paul's understanding of the gospel is rooted in Old Testament scripture. When Paul is reminding the Corinthians about the gospel, he says, you've heard this gospel. I'm going to remind you of this gospel. These are the things Jesus did according to scripture, according to what was written in the Old Testament. It shows that Paul's understanding of the gospel is rooted in Old Testament scripture. Then what Paul goes to do, secondly, is unpack for us the contents of what he believes the gospel is. And that is this, that Jesus died according to scripture that Jesus was buried according to scripture that Jesus was raised from the dead according to scripture that Jesus then appears after his death he's resurrected and he appears to people then he is exalted God the father puts everything under his feet and then he reigns God gives him the throne and then Jesus is enthroned and installed as king in Zion. Doesn't mention the word Zion, but you read Scripture, especially in, in in Revelation, you know Jesus is the ruling, reigning King, and so in other words, the Apostle Paul's idea of what the gospel is is an according to Scripture, telling and recounting of the story of Jesus from beginning to end. It's a declaration of the fact that Jesus is the one who fulfills all that was promised to God's people by God with regards to the messiah with regards to the coming king the one who would redeem God's people so the gospel essentially is the power releasing story of Jesus it's a story of his life of his death of his resurrection of his exaltation and him being enthroned in heaven as the king of kings and the lord of lords So the gospel is not at its most basic level or at its core a story about me and how I'm saved. No, the gospel in a nutshell or succinctly is not justification by faith. Instead, the gospel at its core is the good news about the arrival of King Jesus, the promised Messiah, the anointed Messiah an atoning king. You see the shift there. It might be a little bit nuanced and a little bit different to what we've thought about before, but it is so significant, that shift. The gospel does not have as its center me and my salvation. The gospel has as its center King Jesus, his glory, and the full story of his life. The build-up from prophecy of the prophecy to his coming, his arrival, his life, the fulfillment of scripture, his death. His resurrection, his exaltation, and his glorification, his enthronement as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, this might sound a little bit simple and really overstated on my part, but the gospel has at its center King Jesus. King Jesus is the gospel, not my salvation. The gospel is a story of Jesus the Messiah. That he is the fulfillment of every promise that God has made to his people. So to gospel for the early church, to gospel for the disciples and for the apostles, to run around gospeling and spreading the good news of the gospel was not to run around declaring, I'm saved, I'm saved, my sins are forgiven. Although that is good news and that's something to celebrate, for them, what it meant to gospel was to run around declaring the King has come. Messiah has come. God's promise has been fulfilled. Here's the one. Look at him. His name is Jesus. This is the good news. This is the one we've been waiting for. All glory to God. Look at the one who he has sent. This is Jesus. This is Messiah. That was the good news. That was the gospel. That was their understanding of the gospel to declare that the king had come. You must remember that the concept of salvation wasn't something new for God's people. And just like, just like them, we can sometimes treat that gift with contempt But the idea of salvation wasn't new. In other words, uh, salvation by grace was not a New Testament concept. I think we often um, give the Old Testament, especially God's people, a bad rap. Yes, there were some who who twisted God's laws and twisted God's words to make it seem like God had given them uh, laws and things to do in order to be saved. But what God really said was when he gave the law to his people, do this and you'll be blessed Don't do it and you'll be cursed. But salvation was always by faith, always by grace through faith. And so the idea of the forgiveness of sins and salvation coming from God to his people by grace through faith was not new. And so to gospel wasn't to preach something that they didn't know about and had now received. In other words, salvation. No, to gospel was to was to preach about King Jesus who hadn't come. Salvation was something they had always understood was theirs in God through faith by grace. David says this in Psalm 51 verse 12. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He understands that he has salvation in God and he wants that joy to be restored to him. The joy of God's salvation to be restored to him. Remember he's praying this after he had gone through some really dark spiritual times. In Hebrews, we read about the early fathers of our faith, men of faith, men who who lived and passed on before the coming of Messiah, It says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. In other words, people of the Old Testament looked forward to the promises of God about Messiah and the fulfillment of Messiah and what Messiah would do. And because they looked forward in faith and trusted God the same way we do by looking back at the cross and trusting what God did for us, they looked forward and were saved. And so they understood that salvation came from God by grace through faith alone. The same for us today. So the truly exciting news was not that you could be saved. I'm not saying that that wasn't exciting news. Of course, that's good news. Of course, that's, that's wonderful for us to know. But the truly exciting news, the real gospel was that Messiah had come. And what did that mean? That meant that when Messiah came, what it meant when Messiah came was it rendered all of the promises of God true. Remember John the Baptist his life purpose was to, was to preach and to declare the coming of Messiah and to prepare the way for him. And John, John the Baptist in John chapter 1 34 says this when he sees Jesus. I have seen and testified that this is God's chosen one. You want to wrap up the gospel in a phrase or a sentence? That's it. You look at Jesus and you go, this is God's chosen. Chosen one. That is such good news. It's such good news because Messiah has come, and because he's come, all of God's promises are true. They are yes and amen in Jesus. Had Jesus not come, those promises would still be unfulfilled. We would still not have a Messiah. All of the Old Testament is this build up and this lead up to the coming of Messiah, and at just the right time, God's word says Messiah came. And that was the good news. Our faith, our hope, our trust in God is not in vain because Messiah has come. Jesus, King Jesus has come. And here's the exciting thing about the coming of a king. He ushers in his kingdom. And so the good news has Jesus as its center. And it's such good news because the king has come. And when the king comes, he brings his kingdom. And in the kingdom of Jesus... There is love, there is power, there is forgiveness, there's freedom, there's healing, there's restoration, there's salvation, there's resurrection, there's eternal life. All of those things Jesus ushered in, but those are gifts. But at the center of the good news is the gift giver himself. So let me just be clear here so that people don't misunderstand me or misquote me. I believe scripture teaches that salvation flows from the gospel. I believe that salvation is through grace or by grace through faith. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to get it. God gives it to us freely. But I believe that scripture teaches that salvation is the intended result of the gospel. So salvation is part of the gospel. It's the intended result of the gospel. That's why Paul connects Jesus dying for our sins together. Because Jesus died for our sins. That's part of the gospel. But I do not believe that scripture teaches. Or that we should think or teach. That salvation is the be all and end all of the gospel. That that is at the center of the gospel. No, Jesus is at the center of the gospel. So the question stands, why why be so specific? Why be so pedantic about this? And why really, you know push this nuanced version of the gospel as opposed to the traditionally understood idea of the gospel. And I think there are many different reasons why. And one of them is because if we make personal salvation, the gospel itself, what we end up doing is ripping out a piece of the fabric that makes up the gospel. And we end up really with a de-storified, we lose the story of Jesus, the story of the Old Testament, the story of God's people. We don't connect it to the gospel and we end up with a three to four point plan on how to get saved. And when that happens. Like I said. The story of God's people. The story of Israel. The significance of the Old Testament prophecies. And prophets. And the build up to Jesus. Don't seem to matter. Where at best they just fade in to the distance. And the idea of Jesus being Messiah. The anointed king. The promised one. Doesn't seem to make sense. Because we've disconnected it. We've disjointed it. And we've ripped out a piece of the gospel and we've made it the gospel itself and we've lost everything else In since thrown the baby out with the bathwater we ultimately lose the significance and seriousness of christ's kingship and his lordship and salvation becomes detached from christ's kingship and his lordship and we end up with what uh, a gentleman by the name scott McKnight writes about he says we end up with something called uh, salvation culture it's a culture obsessed with with preaching how to get saved so we preach on heaven and hell and we come up with all sorts of evangelism strategies to to win people over or to scare them uh, into into coming to know jesus we try and scare them or attract them into making a decision to accept jesus into Their hearts, that's that's what we become focused on, because we think that's the gospel, to to focus just on the fact that we can be saved. However, as we read scripture, we don't see the, the apostles in the early church being obsessed with getting people to make a decision. What we do see them passionate about, though, is telling people about Jesus, telling people the story of Jesus. Their goal was to exalt Jesus and to declare him as king of kings and and lord of lords, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, to have people recognize the lordship and the kingship of Jesus and to call people to repentance in light of who Jesus is and what he requires of them given the fact that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. They were passionate not about asking people to accept Jesus or to invite them into his heart. But they were passionate to see people fully submitted, fully committed and surrendered to the king. Fully committed to following him, to becoming like him, to being loyal and obedient to his commands. In a sense being allegiant to him. And one of the reasons why this is so significant to have Jesus at the center is because have you ever seen or or wondered why so many people who, who, who claim to be Christians show so much contempt for Jesus sometimes in the way that they treat Jesus or don't treat Jesus. The way they speak about their salvation, the way that they still live in light of the fact that they are saved and that Jesus has done so much for them. Now there's almost this flippant attitude towards God where there's a lack of fear, a lack of reverence, a lack of obedience and commitment to Jesus. And that's because we've detached the idea of the fact that you can be saved from the idea that you're saved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the true good news is that he is King and he has come. He has risen and he is coming back again. See, we've made the gift more important than the gift giver. And salvation really is a rare and beautiful gift. You know, God's word is not going to come up on the screen, but God's word speaks about um, the the broad road being wide and the path to destruction being one that many people find. But the the road to eternal life, the road to salvation being narrow and difficult to walk in and not many people find it. And so in, in light of all the people that have ever lived and when we look at the amount of people that are going to be actually going to heaven and spending eternity with Jesus and those who aren't. The reality is salvation is very rare and a very special gift. And it's really great to be able to celebrate that and to be able to thank God for that and to, and, and to recognize that it is good news that we can be saved. But what's happened is sometimes we exalt the gift more than we exalt the gift giver. And more precious and more glorious than my salvation is the one who gives me my salvation. The beautiful thing about my salvation is not that I get to spend eternity in heaven, but it's who I get to spend eternity in heaven with. And I think that is the key difference. So what does this really mean for us? Well, I think we really need to stop calling people to make a decision to accept Jesus. And that might sound weird, but instead I think we need to be doing this. We need to be telling people And calling people to hear the story of Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Holy One. And we need to be teaching people that he is absolutely worthy of our honor, of our respect, of our lives and of our absolute undedicated obedience and commitment. We need to be calling people to, in light of who Jesus is, repent of their sins. We need to be calling people to surrender, to submit, and to give Jesus everything that they have. We need to be telling people that for those who do that, for those who recognize Jesus, for those who hear the story and recognize Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, there is forgiveness, there is healing, there's restoration and everlasting life. And we need to be warning people that for those who hear this and do not receive Jesus, for those who never get to experience that relationship with Jesus, who reject him, what is in store for them is eternal death, eternal torment and punishment and pain in hell from being separated from God. David Platt said this when he spoke at a conference once with regards to this topic. Said suddenly contemporary Christianity sales pitches don't seem adequate anymore. Ask Jesus to come into your heart. Invite Jesus to come into your life. Pray this prayer. Sign this card. Walk down this aisle and accept Jesus for your personal as your personal savior. We have taken the infinitely glorious son of God who endured the infinitely terrible wrath of God and now reigns as the infinitely worthy Lord of all and we've reduced him to a poor puny savior who is just begging for us to accept him. Accept him. Do we really think Jesus needs our acceptance? Don't we need him? Jesus is no longer one to be accepted or invited in, but one who is infinitely worthy of our immediate and total surrender. Church, if we make our salvation or teach that our salvation is the center of the gospel, we miss the most important truth about the most important person of the gospel. We miss King Jesus. If we're going to be preaching the gospel, we need to focus on and elevate and glorify and exalt Jesus before anything else. That he is the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the fulfillment of God's promise. He's Messiah, the anointed one. And we need to be teaching people that because of that, we owe him our allegiance. So I want to end this morning by, by rooting what I've said in, in some other scriptures. Because I think it's only fair to do that. Remember the idea of the gospel for the early church was to tell the story of Jesus. To tell his life story even if it is in a succinct summarized form. It's telling the story of Jesus. Not just one aspect of the good news about what Jesus does, but the whole story of Jesus with him at the center is the gospel. And so Peter's preaching in Acts, uh, and he says this in Acts chapter 2, 22 to 39, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Here Peter's speaking about the life of Jesus. He's saying, look, look at what Jesus did. This was said about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Things that he would do, Jesus did. He fulfilled what was promised about the Messiah and what he would do. Yeah, Peter's bringing in, into life the life of Jesus. He says, In verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Here he brings the death of Jesus into it. He brings the death of Jesus in. And as he's saying this, the Israelites would have remembered the Old Testament prophecy about the death of the Messiah and how he would die. And then Peter goes on, he says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That's the resurrection. So Peter's spoken about the life of Jesus. He's spoken about the death of Jesus. Now he's speaking about the resurrection of Jesus. And the whole time he's gospeling. He's preaching the gospel. He hasn't yet mentioned salvation. He's, he's preaching the gospel about the good news of Jesus. He's touched on his life, his death, his resurrection. And then it says this in verse 32. But God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. There's the resurrection, and what Peter's speaking about there really is at the heart of evangelism. That's to bear witness to Jesus. To gospel is to bear witness to Jesus. To really focus on what the gospel is, is to really focus on Jesus. It says this in verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God. There's the exaltation of Jesus. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And there is the point of preaching the gospel to have people recognize this truth about Jesus, that he is both Lord and Messiah. What's really interesting is after preaching that, which is what I believe the early church and what we should know is at the core of the gospel, the people respond in a specific way. Here's how they respond. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Church, that is the correct response to the correct preaching of the gospel. When you tell the gospel how it's meant to be told and the content of your gospel preaching is the correct content of the gospel. In other words, it is focused on Jesus, what he did, who he was, how he died, how he was resurrected, the fact that he's king of kings and lord of lords. When you do that, the implication is this, that that story, those truths, that gospel is anointed to bring about a change in people's lives. The telling of the story of joy of, of, of Jesus is anointed to awaken in the hearts of people this desire to be forgiven for their sins, where they're overcome perhaps sometimes by a fear of God and a reverence for God that they never had before. And they see Jesus for who he truly is and that causes them to turn and to respond and to repent And so Peter preaches this gospel message about Jesus with Jesus at the center. And the people go, what do we do in light of this truth? They were cut to the heart by the spirit who breathes on that message and anoints that message to transform people's lives. And then Peter says this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, there's the plan of salvation. There's the how to. But unfortunately, that's what we've made the be all and the end end all of the gospel, is how to get saved. Peter starts with the life of Jesus, with Jesus at the center. People are cut to the heart because the Spirit moves when that truth is preached. And then they say, what do we do? And Peter says, repent, believe, be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, in chapter 10, he says this, speaking to a different group of people. and This is the last scripture for this morning. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. There's Jesus at the center again, who is Lord of all. There's the, there's the making the point and, and putting the focus on the center of the gospel. We are witnesses of everything he did. He has Peter preaching again about the life of Jesus. In the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, they killed him. There's his death by hanging him on the cross. But God raised him. There's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. There's the, there's the exaltation of Jesus. Him being seen after he's dead. There's this glorification of Jesus and people see him as the risen king. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And here's the real significant part. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. There is the gospel for Peter. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples. The gospel is this, that Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge judge. Of the living and the dead. He is the promised Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is at the center of the gospel. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. First, Jesus, first, his kingdom, first, his lordship. Jesus at the center, and out of that flows salvation, obviously. I want to leave you with this thought. And then I promise I'm going to close. Have you ever wondered why the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels? In fact, Gospels, the plural Gospels, only came a, a few hundred years after uh, they were written. They were, it wasn't plural before. It was the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Luke, the Gospel according to John. And then it became the Gospels. Have ever wondered why those books are called the gospel or the gospels? Is it not perhaps because they are the gospel? Paul and Peter in the early church preached condensed versions of what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. When they preached the gospel, what they did was recount the good news and targeted the life, the works, the death, the resurrection, the glorification and the exaltation of Jesus And they called people to repentance in light of who Jesus is and those truths about his life. So to preach the gospel is to tell the story of Jesus, to declare him as the enthroned, anointed, promised Messiah who's come and who is coming again, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's to call people to repentance in light of that. Church, I really believe we need to reclaim a Jesus-centered gospel because it's the King Jesus gospel and that gospel alone that is anointed to transform lives. Our salvation is significant and a beautiful gift, but Jesus is greater than that. The gift giver is at the center of the gospel message, not our salvation. And changing that changes our focus and it gets us to love and to focus and to see Jesus in ways possibly that we haven't ever before and to appreciate the gift that he gives to us. I pray that we'll be a gospel-centered, Jesus-centered church and that we'd see many people transformed because of the way we are passionate about our King. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, this morning, I want to thank you so much that we got to unpack your word together and spend time together. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would move in the hearts of your people, that we would hunger and thirst for more of you, for intimacy with you, Jesus, and that we would in our daily lives celebrate you in the way we speak, the way we live, and that people would see Jesus at work in us and be attracted, Lord Jesus, to who you are. And may we be people who are passionate about leading others to the feet of the King, For the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. If there is something that you would love prayer for, can have anything, can have it can be anything to do with the message. It can be something completely different. Please join us uh, on our Zoom room. The details for that Zoom room are coming up now on your screen. Uh, the Zoom room will be open from now 10 until half past 10. We'd love to pray with you. Please come and connect with us. Uh, whatever it may be, we'd love to minister to you. And if you're watching this at some other time of the day or a completely different day, uh, and you would love prayer, prayer, please get hold of the church office. Uh, it's 21 is the phone number please get a hold of us speak to Michelle at the office and she'll put you in contact with the relevant pastor we'd love to minister with you uh, don't miss out on that on that opportunity be blessed uh, we love you church and I uh, hope that you have a fantastic rest of your Sunday bye